We rented a renovated piggery halfway between Todmorden and Hebden Bridge, arriving in the upper Calder Valley on a dark, cold January evening, searching for the turn-off, then realising the piggery was on the top of a steep hill, that the lane was frozen over and we couldn't get the car up there. We carried everything we needed, clothes, food, alcohol, a few books, through the dark, through the icy dark. At least we thought we were so high up that when morning came, we'd have some beautiful views. But when morning arrived, the piggery was surrounded by fog. All that was visible were the three jackdaws who used the windowsill as their social hub. They often tapped the window, just saying hello, I suppose, every two minutes or so. We decided to walk up onto the peaks, then cover the three or four miles to Crag Vale, famous for the group of coiners who, in the 1760s, produced so many counterfeit coins, they undermined the economy of the country. The walk took us past the house of David Hartley, self-styled King of the Coiners. This story is beautifully told in Benjamin Meyer's novel, The Gallows Pole. Spoiler alert, Hartley was hanged for his crimes. His body lies in Heptonstall Cemetery, only a short bus ride from Crag Vale. In the same cemetery is the gravestone of the poet Sylvia Plath. Plath was married to Ted Hughes. His surname, which she took, was scratched out on the headstone. Plath and their two young children were abandoned by Hughes, who left her for another woman. Plath killed herself by putting her head in a gas oven. The woman Hughes left her for would kill herself in a similar way. I'm recording this on the 60th anniversary of Plath's death. This should not be about her death. This should be about her life, her poetry. I love Plath's poppies in October. Here's one line. The woman in the ambulance whose red heart blooms through her coat so astoundingly. And there's this line, a sky palely and flamily igniting its carbon monoxides. Hughes was born in the Calder Valley, Plath, in Boston, Massachusetts. His ashes were scattered on Dartmoor. Her body remains here, where Hughes, not she, grew up. Hughes was born in Mythenroyd, and I apologise if I don't pronounce it correctly. It looks Welsh to me, the letter Y acting as a vowel, but it probably isn't. The home is the same as in Stockholm and is definitely Norse. But on my wanderings I discovered that the name Calder is Brythonic, the Celtic language from which emerged Breton, Cornish and yes, Welsh. The name Walston, a village just next to Todmorden, means Valley of the Welsh. The jackdaws tap on the piggery window, tap, 
tap like a poet at a typewriter, tapping out poems about sheep, the rain, night. Tap, tap, tap. We walked on and up and through and out of the fog, and soon we found ourselves in a crystalline blue day, the valley and town spinning around us like a wheel, each one trying to shrug off the fog in its own way. Todmorden, Hepton Bridge, Hepton Stall, Mythamroyd, and below, Cragvale. The fog snaked and wound its way through the valleys. Up here we felt far from everyone, everything, only us and the sky and the ghosts of the coiners. It's easy to see how this was once a godforsaken place, forsaken too by the authorities. And there's still a sense of injustice here. You could sniff it on the wood smoke. The embers of insurrection are not entirely extinguished. Down in Crag Vale, we stopped at the Robin Hood pub, a gorgeous old boozer where the owner was proud to tell us of the coiners. Some of them operated from just across the road. Why, I wondered, but didn't ask, was this place not called the David Hartley, or maybe the King of the Coiners, and not the Robin Hood? The Calder Valley has become known as Happy Valley, the ironic title of a hugely popular BBC police drama. The series portrays the valley's dark underbelly, as dark an underbelly as those of the pigs that maybe once wobbled over our kitchen, bathroom and bedroom. The proprietor left us logs for the wood burner, and we merrily incinerated the lot that Saturday night, drying out our boots on the hearth. The next day we walked across the hills to Studley Pike, a monument to the British victory in the Napoleonic and Crimean Wars. The pike is a huge structure, a charcoal black scratch against the white of the winter sky, and so onwards towards Todmorden, the path boggy and lost, the day colder, the last of the daylight seeping away. Todmorden offered us tomato and basil soup and toast and nothing had ever tasted so good and on we went along the canal bank to the bridge that led to the steep hill to the piggery and the jackdaws tapping on the window and another complimentary bag of logs and an evening watching the great pottery throw down and of course Happy Valley Series 3 Episode 4 The success of Happy Valley is hard to pin down. The writing, the acting, the setting, the music are all so right. There's a battle between good and evil. It's almost mythic, like a western, but unlike a myth or a legend or a western, we're also in a world that's peopled with individuals and their particular foibles, their idiosyncrasies, and the mundane detail of ordinary life. Superficially, this may be a battle between good and evil, but its props are teapots, toasts, stew, computer games, crochet blankets. And Sergeant Catherine Kaywood, the central protagonist, a woman who is burdened and hurt, who throughout the three series shows enormous compassion for the least fortunate, who is forgiving and almost loving to the saddest of miscreants, cannot extend that unconditional love to her sister, and certainly not to the person she sees as the embodiment of evil, Tommy Lee Royce. 
until that is the very last scene in the last episode, the denouement of the whole series, which isn't set on a mountaintop or in an underground lair. There's no fight to the death on the vertiginous heights of a suspension bridge. It takes place in a kitchen. Happy Valley is domestic, a family drama. And in this last scene, we see Sergeant Kaywood realise she may have been wrong, that the understanding she has shown to almost everyone, but never Royce, begins to seep through. Royce, the last vestige of evil in her universe, begins to look more complex. There's a moment when we sense Kaywood recognises this, an astonishing moment. It's her last day as a serving police officer, and here at last, the awareness that even Royce, who until then she had dismissed as a psychopath, is human too. Kaywood, however, would have short shrift, I imagine, for Sylvia Plath's partner, Ted Hughes. Instead of the confrontation with Tommy Lee Royce, I'd like to see Kaywood face down Hughes, see him there at the kitchen table correcting proofs of a poem about crows or foxes or some other creature that never makes any serious demands on him, and ask him, Hey, how do, Ted? Now, what about writing about people for once? And what the fuck are you doing to Sylvia and the kids? Sylvia Plath's last poem, Edge, shows just how brittle she was. I can't read it all. I don't want to infringe copyright. But here are a few powerful lines. We have come so far. It is over. Each dead child coiled a white serpent. One at each little pitcher of milk, now empty. What would Sergeant Catherine Kaywood made of all this? Poets and their sensitivities. I'd like to think she'd see the frailties of both. Although doubtless, if she had to take sides, it would be with Sylvia. In one of the very last scenes of Happy Valley, Kaywood visits the grave of her dead daughter, whose fate, she'd always believed, was because of her relationship with Tommy Lee Royce. This last scene was shot in Heptonstall Cemetery, and only a few footsteps from where Kaywood stands is the gravestone of Sylvia Plath. It's not entirely impossible that when we see her staring at what we believe is her daughter's grave, she's looking directly at the resting place of Sylvia Plath. (laughs) 